Um, as you can see with these candles lit directly to uh, the left of me, uh, we're in a special moment, and I, I want to tell you a little bit about that moment if you're relatively new to the Christian church. Uh, this time of year, we celebrate not just Christmas, but we celebrate the time that comes up to Christmas, and we call that time Advent. Advent runs throughout the month of December for us this year, and, and though it changes from year to year, Advent always starts on the Sunday that's closest uh, to November 30th, and it always ends on Christmas Eve. Advent has a simple meaning. It means coming or arrival. And during the season of Advent, we celebrate Christ coming into the world, and we watch with great expectancy and hope for His coming again. During Advent, we do display and light four candles successively on an Advent wreath. And, and, and the wreath is perfect in, as a perfect circle as uh, that perfectness of the circle reminds us of the perfect eternity of our God. A few weeks ago, we wrote, lit the first candle, which symbolizes hope. Last week at Marion High, we lit the second, which symbolizes love. In a moment, we'll light the pink candle, the third candle that represents joy. And next week, we'll light the candle of peace. The large center candle in, in the middle of the Advent wreath is the Christ candle. And we'll light it on Christmas Eve at our five services reminding us that Jesus is the light of the world. So this morning we have lit the third candle. This candle represents Christ our joy. And may the joyful promise of your presence, O God, make us rejoice in our hope and our salvation. Praise the Lord. I do want to invite you to Christmas at First United Methodist Church. Uh, we're an exciting place at all times of the year. And uh, at this time of year we have uh, five services uh, next Tuesday evening on Christmas Eve. One, there's at 1 o'clock, which is uh, carols and communion service. And at 4, 5, 30, and 7, we have pretty identical services of candlelight and carols. And then our last service is at 11 p.m., which is a service that includes carols, candlelight, and communion. So invite your friends. Bring your family that comes and, uh, at holidays and, and embrace that part of Christmas uh, of Christ's coming. The guiding scripture for our service this morning comes from the first chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 17. Hear these words, treasure them in your heart, and seek to understand them. And also be reminded that if I mispronounce any of these words, and you bring it to my attention, you'll be here reading next week. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadad, Amminadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. 
Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Elohim, Elohim the father of Azar, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliahud, Eliahud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. May we pray. O Lord our God, on this day, as the candles burn brightly, as we sing these carols, we look forward to that moment, Lord, the moment of Jesus' birth where we celebrate it with hands held high and hearts filled with a festive spirit, surrounded by those we love most. And Lord, as we think those words and thoughts in our minds, we remember that Jesus came because we are those whom the Lord loves most. He placed Jesus into our family, the human family, so that we might know him, that we might know that by grace we are adopted into his family, the heavenly family. And for that, we give you praise and honor. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for all the things that are going on in this congregation, Lord. For as your pastors stand before you this morning, you know, Lord, that in this congregation, we both have the joy of new birth that's just a few hours old. And we also, Lord, have those that are walking right now through the valley of the shadow. And you're the Lord of all those times and places. You are the Lord of every situation, every life and stage and station of life. And for that, we give you honor and praise. And so, Lord, as you prophesy and promise us in the coming of Messiah, hold us now tightly in your hands and let us acknowledge that we are yours, for you have already claimed us as yours. Good morning. Good to be here with you today to worship God and come into... Uh... It's an opportunity to just be together and worship. And, and I don't know how many of you got to come last week, but last week we had our all-together day at Marion High School. And wow, I just, I was blown away by a few things that took place there. Um, of course, to be able to, to see everyone together and worship God together, you know, it, it reminds me of what, this sounds cheesy, but what the holidays were all about, right? You know, like just everybody coming together and realizing that, we are a big family. Today we're going to talk about, about family a little bit. But the other thing that it made me think about was just the different diverse uh, expressions of worship that we have at, at this church and how it all came together so beautifully. You know, we had, we had a moment where we were getting the sound all ready and we had the bell choir, we had the praise team, and we had the chancel choir all up there together singing praise to God, ringing praise to God, and playing praise to God. And, and it all blended so well together. And, and I've been in several different churches, and I, I remember thinking to myself, I have never seen a, a church be able to do that before. You know, bring those three different styles of, of worship together and do something that was so focused on Christ. That, that's just amazing. And then when people started coming into the church, or to the church, it was the church because we were there, to the school auditorium as we, as we came in there, in the, the gym, I mean, 
I was a little bit freaked out at first because I noticed that like more of our uh, senior members were sitting right up front in front of the speakers. <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy, we're going to hear about this because it's going to blow them away. It's going to be loud and this and that. But you know what? When I, when I looked around and saw people worshiping, I, I just saw people with hearts focused on Christ and, and coming together. And just the whole mood of that was really special. So I want to just thank everybody who participated in that and for everybody who came out. If you showed up to church here last week and nobody was here, I'm really sorry. Um, but we, we've, uh, we, we had this great... Mo- I, nobody re- better raise their hand if they did that. But uh, um, it was awesome. Because as we see all the members of our, of our church family, we're reminded that, you know, we have a great family. And I know... I know that around the holidays, we start talking about family and people have different experiences. And for some of us, it's the greatest time of the year because we, we get to see people that we don't always see and kids come home from college and people fly in from out of town. And, and, and if you're one of those people that your family's spread out, maybe this is an opportunity to get together. But for others, it's a painful time because family isn't always a party, is it? And for some of us, our, our family tree, we look at it and we kind of, we, we're a little bit ashamed or we're, we're less than excited about what's going on in the dynamic of our family. And if it were up to us, we would just as soon just do our own thing to avoid the stress and craziness. And I was thinking about that this week as we look at Jesus' family tree. I mean, let's face it. I know it'd be impossible because this was the genealogy all the way back to, you know, thousands of years, Abraham, you know, all this kind of stuff like that. But what would that party look like if you got all these people together at Jesus' house for Christmas and you brought in all of these different people? It would be just completely crazy because there's so many different types of people in Jesus' family tree. Some of them you'd be proud of, but some of them you wouldn't be so proud of. Now, you and I, we look at our family tree and we just go, well, it is what it is, right? We don't get to pick our families, do we? But you want to know, Jesus got to pick his. He got to pick his family. Not only did he pick it, he created his family and he chose those people from whom he would be descendants of. And what we have in Matthew 1 here is the list. Now, why do we have this list? Why do we have this here? Why does Matthew begin his gospel with the story of Jesus' family tree? Well, first and foremost, Matthew is a gospel that was written to the Jewish people. And for the Jews, family was a huge thing. You see, our culture and society is a lot different. These days, our emphasis is typically on individual people. And, and, and who our families come from is really, you know, of, of some consequence, but, but not as much as the choices that we make and the things that we do as individuals. But for the, the ancient Jewish people, families were everything. You were known as the identity of your family. So Matthew begins this gospel by, by showing who Jesus' family was. And he lists these 14 generations, all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, why does Jesus do all this? Why does he go back? There's only one other place in the scripture where this type of list with the generation is addressed, and it's found in Genesis 5, verse 1, where it talks about Adam and his descendants. Now, if you read the New Testament, especially Paul's writings, you'll notice that the apostle Paul wants to connect Jesus with Adam. And the reason why he does that is to show us that through Adam came all of the sin and suffering of the world, 
because of his disobedience to God's command. So Adam is the father of us all, and in so much as our sinful flesh, we get that from Adam. But what Paul wants to show us is that Jesus is the second Adam, the greater Adam. He's another Adam, and through Adam we receive our sin, through Jesus Christ we receive our redemption. So we see this going back to Adam. But beyond that, the Jews are concerned with the kingdom. And the King David, the King David was the greatest king of all. And what Matthew is doing is he's showing the, everyone that Jesus is descended from King David. He also shows that he's descended from Abraham, which makes him a Jew by birth. This is all very important. Now, Luke also has a genealogy, but Luke's genealogy is traced through Mary, through Jesus' biological mother. Mark has no genealogy because Mark writes to the Romans who don't care at all about Jewish genealogies. And then John, the Gospel of John, written to the church, also has a genealogy. But if you read John's genealogy, it doesn't have any human beings in it. It just simply goes back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was nothing made that hasn't been made through Him. So in fact, John's genealogy starts with Jesus and ends with Jesus. Because that's the thing about Jesus. It all begins with him, and his own family tree was chosen by him. Now, another thing that, that's interesting about Matthew's genealogy, that, that if you are familiar with ancient Jewish genealogies, which probably none of you are, I'm certainly not, you know, is this. Matthew does something that, that was pretty radical and controversial. He includes people in his genealogy that you normally wouldn't include in the genealogy. First of all, he includes four women. He includes Tamar, he includes Ruth, he includes Bathsheba, and he includes Rahab. This was something you would never do because women in the ancient Jewish culture, in terms of your family lineage, didn't count. But yet Matthew includes them. But not only are they women, they're also Gentiles, which means they're not even Jews. So Matthew shows that in Jesus' genealogy, the message is there that Jesus has come and is proud of his family and he's for all people, not just the Jews and not just the men. Beyond that, there's some humdingers in this genealogy. There's some people in here that, I tell you what, if they were in your family or my family, we wouldn't be talking about them. We wouldn't be bragging about them. We wouldn't say any, let anybody know that they were part of our family. you have anybody like that in your family? Okay, if you're the, if you're the one doing this, then that's probably you, okay? <laughs> nope, I'm proud of every last one of them. You see, this is what you got to remember. Jesus chose these people. So not only is Jesus proud of them, he has a specific purpose in showing why they would come. See, and here's why. Not only to show that Jesus came to save sinners, but to show that Jesus came from sinners. That's important that we know that. Now, some of these people, Tamar, for example, this woman Tamar, she, she's famous for pretending to be a prostitute, But Rahab actually was a prostitute. Manasseh, this was the most wicked king the kingdom of Judah ever had. This guy was was something. He slaughtered his own sons. He was wicked beyond belief, and he worshipped this god named Molech, who was, of course, a false god. Now, eventually, he was restored to Jerusalem. And then there was this guy named Jeconiah, and he was cursed by God. So, 
understanding if you look at Jesus' family tree, now you could look at yours and say, is it so bad after all? You know, maybe it is, maybe it is. I don't know what your family tree looks like. I, I know mine's kind of scattered, you know, and it's weird because there, I have some first cousins that if they were sitting right here, I wouldn't even know them <clears throat> because I've seen them maybe once when we were kids. My family's all scattered around. So for me to think about family, you know, I think about them. I go, well, there's some sort of connection there. You know, whereas my wife comes from a family where when you, you grow up, you move like two houses down the street. So when we go back to visit her family, you know, everybody's all right there. You go out the front door of grandma's house and right down the road, there's one son, two son, three. They're all right there. And, and, and it was, it's funny because when you go around people and you've never met their family, but you know them and then you get around their family, then you go, oh, now I see why you do that. Now I see why you talk that way or why you act that way or why you look that way, you know, why you just are. It's amazing how we're associated with that, you know, and I think about Jesus and I think about his family and I look at that and I say, wow, Jesus didn't come from the perfect family. He didn't come from this, this nice little thing where he could point back and everyone say, oh, wow, what a nice little Jewish boy. Jesus' life and his family were surrounded by controversy. His mother was viewed as a promiscuous young woman who was pregnant before the wedding. Jesus' father had to quietly go along with this plan. Now, what guy would buy that? I'm pregnant. Really? All right. We need to talk. Well, it was the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. But the angel shows up and tells him the story, but knowing full well that Mary would deal with that stigma her entire life. And yet, pushing all the way back through these genealogies, Matthew highlights this because he wants to show us some things about our own family. You see, you didn't get to pick your family. I already said that in terms of your earthly family. But you do get to pick your spiritual family. Did you know that? You do get to pick that. Now, let's look at a couple things here. I've got just a couple things. What have we learned from Jesus' family tree? First and foremost... We've seen that Jesus has legal rights to the throne because he comes through David. This was very important to the Jews because they wanted to know, was Jesus the real deal? And the prophetic line said that, that out of the root of Jesse would spring forth this king. Jesse is David's, is David's descendant, or David is Jesse's descendant. And, and we see that Jesus fulfills these prophecies, that he is eligible because not only does he come from David, but he has ancestral rights to the throne because he also comes through Abraham. You couldn't be the king of the Jews if you weren't a Jew. So Matthew wants to say, first and foremost, Jesus is qualified to be your king. The third thing that we see, though, in the midst of, of Matthew trying to qualify Jesus to the Jews is then he throws the wrench, and by throwing all these women and Gentiles, he shows them that God doesn't care about human religious systems. God isn't caught up in the same things that human beings get caught up in terms of religion and, and how we're supposed to do everything a certain way and how everything's supposed to be and, and, and some of those things that we human beings add on to, to the gospel to say, well, yes, you must be a Christian, but you also have to have this. You have to be baptized this particular way or you have to read this kind of Bible or you have to do it this way or sing that song or all these things. Jesus doesn't care about that. Jesus simply says, I am pouring out my grace upon you. See, the fourth thing that we learn from Jesus' family tree is this. People with broken pasts can still be part of the family of God. See, you didn't pick your earthly family. 
but you get to pick your spiritual family. And the question is this, are you going to pick Jesus' family? Now, some people have looked at this genealogy and said, wait a second, I don't get it. Jesus, you know, is born of a virgin, right? And that's the fifth thing that we learned from this, from this uh, uh, family tree, is that Jesus was born of a virgin. So why does the genealogy trace back through Joseph? Huh? Why not Mary? If Jesus has no blood relation to Joseph, then why are we even doing this? Isn't he technically disqualified then because Mary's, Mary's lineage is different than Joseph's? Well, here's why. You see, in a real way, Jesus was adopted by Joseph, wasn't he? He was received into Joseph's family by Joseph's choice. Now, I know God chose that and put that on Joseph, but Joseph had to say yes. Joseph went along with that, and Joseph said, I will adopt this boy as my son, and I will raise him as my own, and he will be part of my family. Do you want to know why I think that God did that? that? It's, It's because of this. I think that he wants to show us that in a real way, there's a choice being made of adoption for you and for me into God's family. Because here's the truth. We're not born into God's family. I know it sounds cute to say that we are, but the fact is this. We are born into the devil's family. We are born sinful, steeped in sin at our birth, the Bible says. We are not born as as people set aside for God. We're born into our sin. But Jesus Christ, because of his great grace and his mercy, the Bible tells us that he adopts us as sons and daughters. That through the spirit of adoption, we have been made by his grace, his sons and his daughters. He's adopted us. Just in the same way that Joseph adopted Jesus, God wants to adopt you and he wants to adopt me. So you get to pick your family. You get to decide every day when you wake up to which family do you belong spiritually. So the fact is this. God didn't save you because of your family lineage. He saved you in spite of it. He saves all of us in spite of it. And no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, no matter how bad our family upbringing is, no matter how bad we are, no matter whether we're the ones that's the black sheep... No matter whether we're the ones that everyone's ashamed of, God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of us. He's proud to call us family. He's proud to call us brothers and sisters. He's proud to call us sons and daughters. In fact, there's, a, there's an amazing uh, story in the scripture where Jesus is with some people and, and he's teaching. And, and, and someone comes to him and says, Jesus, your, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? But that who believes and does the will of God. Basically what he was saying was, your earthly family isn't what's important. Ultimately, it's your spiritual family. Look around you. That was the cool thing about last week. Even in this room here, this is family. This is family. And that means something to me. I hope it means something to you because it sure means something to God. You see, all this healthy church initiative stuff we've been going through, this building program stuff we've been going, all of that ultimately is not about some big legacy of a Methodist church or some, you know, monument, you know, on the northeast side of town. It's about family. 
That's what it's about. Now, when we gather together, is that our mindset? I pray that it is. It's something that we need to grow into and lean into and learn because Jesus says that we're co-heirs with him, that we have an inheritance with him, that he's given all things to us. You see, an inheritance means that Jesus has set aside something for us. And if he set aside something for me, then he set aside something for you. And, and he says, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be, which means this. The ultimate family holiday is that holiday where we're gathered around the throne room in heaven and we're together for eternity <clears throat> celebrating Christmas, celebrating Easter, celebrating everything that the grace of God has done in our lives. And everything that we do here in this place, in this world, is basically preparation for where we're going to be. And some of us get that. But for some of us, we haven't quite made it there yet because we're still looking at this not as family, but as, you know, some sort of like provider of a service or something like that or a, or a good or whatever. Well, I go to church because I get blessed. I go to church to receive. I go to church because now you certainly do. But in families, you also give, don't you? You serve each other. You love each other in spite of your differences, in spite of your faults, in spite of your sins in spite of everything that gets on each other's nerves, when it's family, there's a deeper bond there. And I want to invite you this Christmas season to begin to view your spiritual family the same way Jesus views his. He's proud of it. I want you to be proud of your family. You see, God put us here for a reason. God chose us to be where we are at this time in this place. And I believe it's because he wants our family to keep growing. See, God's grace flows through his family out to the world. And if you have ever met someone estranged from their family, you know the tragedy that exists there. I had a, a neighbor for about 15 years who, when I moved into my house, when we moved into our house, he, he, was, he was probably 80 years old at that point in time. And, and him and his wife were always alone struggling with hardly anything. And I remember at one point in time, I was like, why don't I ever see anybody come visit these people? They were super nice to us. They always wanted to talk and, and everything. And, and even though they were frail and whatever, I remember I, remember I, I was outside, I was, I was shoveling his front walk or mowing his grass or something. And then this thought hit my mind. And it wasn't so much a selfish thought. It was a thought of, where are this guy's children? Where are the grandkids? Why isn't someone coming over and taking care of these people? And, and, and I was having a conversation with another neighbor. Who, I, and I remember saying, hey, do they have kids? What's going on? Oh, yeah, they have a family. They have kids. But there was a fight apparently 20 years ago, and now no one speaks to each other. And I remember thinking to myself, how tragic is that? How tragic is the separation and the estrangement of family over words that were said, things that were done, whatever. None of it makes that much of a difference after 20 years. you know what? The fact is this. We see the same thing in our spiritual family too sometimes, don't we? We see people who have issues or whatever and they just, they become estranged and they, they walk away or, or they become inward focused. And I want to challenge all of us with this idea. Let's make our family grow. Let's reach out to our family. 
Let's take care of our family. Let's forgive in our family. Let's extend grace and let's celebrate. See, I I think that this is what Jesus was doing even in this genealogy. I think he's celebrating his family. I think he's looking at his family and he's saying, yeah, there were some people in this family tree who did some things that they're not proud of, but you know what? Even though people do things they're not proud of, that doesn't mean that Jesus still isn't proud of them. You see, Jesus wants you in his family. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it's been, no matter if your earthly family has rejected you, your spiritual family will never reject you. Jesus Christ has a place for you at his table. But not just for you, for those whom the, whom the Lord would call through you as he lets his grace flow. See, Jesus' family tree was a, was a riot. You know, yours might be too, mine might be too. But as we come together, we recognize, hey, guess what? All these names here that Pastor Mike pronounced beautifully, didn't he? I wasn't going to challenge him. <clears throat> this, this is your family tree too. Do you know that? These are your relatives too. Because Jesus came through them and you come through Jesus. This is our family, you guys. We celebrate it together. When it comes time for Christmas, here in this church, I want you to walk in these doors ready to greet your family. You're going to see something you haven't seen in a while. When you go downstairs and have coffee and donuts after church, I want you to go greet your family. I want you to take time at the family table and, and, and share some love and, and share some fellowship. And, and as we continue moving forward with everything that God has called us to do, and rightly so, we recognize that God's grace is shown through his family and by his family. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you. We worship you. And God, as we look at our own lives, our own families, Lord, sometimes we're just, Lord, we're, we're ashamed or we're intimidated. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to receive one another, Lord, and recognize that your grace flows in and through your family. Lord, we thank you for adopting us, for giving us a place to belong, for making us a people by your grace. Lord, may we live in that reality. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.